Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in to Stand Up For The Truth. We appreciate you guys and your prayers and hearing from many of you from across the country listening online, God willing, because uh, our site went down this morning, but I think it's back up. Thank you. Uh, Q90FM.com, StandUpForTheTruth.com, click on Listen Live. We thank you also for sharing our 200 resources you can trust. It's a great resource. We encourage you to bookmark it. All right, two guests today. We are talking about sex trafficking in part one and abortion and where we go from here after the Roe v. Wade decision at the Supreme Court in Part 2 when Julaine Appling of Wisconsin Family Council will be joining us. But uh, before we get to our, our guest in studio, I want to mention um, we will be in Oshkosh, in, and she is from Oshkosh, by the way, uh, July 14, Thursday night, 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Sunrise Church. We will have Stand Up for the Truth mugs available. And I'll be speaking on the last hundred years in America and where Christians go from here. We're covering a lot of history that night. So um, we'll be talking about that more and more as we get closer to the date. That's July 14, a Thursday night. You can bookmark it, please, on your calendar. Again, 6.30 p.m., Calvary Sunrise Church. Okay, I've got an article in my hand uh, this just happened two weeks ago. I, I remember hearing about it, but of course I didn't tune in and really listen and pay attention. But um, Oshkosh Police, and that's Oshkosh, Wisconsin, investigated a spa for human trafficking, and uh, it made local news, and that's one of the things we're going to be talking about today with today's guest. And uh, Tara, you're going to have to help me with your last name, Kozlowski. Very good. I said it right. Woo! Oh, so Tara is in studio, and uh, she's been an active educator and trainer advocate in the movement to abolish modern-day slavery, also known as human trafficking or sex trafficking. She's been at this for 13 years. She works for an organization called Damascus Road. You'll be hearing a lot about that today, and we're going to have her back before September. There's a training event coming up that you can get a lot more information. Uh, Tara with Damascus Road, welcome to Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you so much. Well, good to have you in studio. So let's talk a little bit about this story, and then I'm going to go back and talk about your background. But since I mentioned this, it's very pertinent because it was in the news. Um, Oshkosh police investigated a human trafficking situation involving a business. Detectives, detectives had been... Uh, uh, trying to get info over at a business called Oriental Spa. I remember hearing that in the news. Um, and video surveillance revealed that only men were entering and exiting from that business. Very interesting. So search warrant was served at that location. And um, along with, I guess there was $1,300 or whatever. But you you were involved in this in some way because it says staff from Damascus Road Project assisted with providing help, you know, services. So tell us what happened here. And then the Manitowoc Police Department assisted the Oshkosh Police. And tell us what you can remember from this. This was just two weeks ago. Yeah, so one of the main things that we do, we really have three things that we focus on at Damascus Road. We are a faith-based nonprofit organization located in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, but we do work throughout Wisconsin. We have actually done work throughout the country working with survivors of human trafficking or commercial sexual exploitation. And we partner very closely with police departments. We're very close with the Oshkosh Police Department. So when they have a situation like this, um, it's not uncommon for them to contact us and to help provide assistance to the the victims. And so we we really focus on three things, educate, locate, and advocate. Uh, my part as the outreach director, I do uh, the educate piece, educating the community on human trafficking and connecting people, especially the church, on how they can get involved with the work that mm. we do. Locate is um, we go and do hospitality outreaches. We've gone to Super Bowls before looking for missing kids, teaching 
on how to recognize uh, victims. And then um, the advocate piece is helping survivors. And so um, we have a um, director, one of our directors was assisting in this situation. Um, she actually met with the victims and then provided assistance. We had to get a translator. Mm. Um, we were wow. able to provide, we have what we call exodus bags and they're just care bags filled with hygiene products. Many of these women um, don't, they don't have anything and it's just our way to help bridge that gap. Like they don't know who to trust because many times they trusted someone and that's how they ended up in this situation. A lot of trafficking recruitment happens through manipulation and mm. coercion where someone is led to believe that there's maybe a job opportunity for them or a love relationship um, or some kind of a big dream that they that could be met, some kind of connections or maybe housing or shelter. And they think that um, they can trust the, the person who's, selling them these dreams or this job and really then they end up being trafficked and forced into prostitution. Mm. So we were able to provide exodus bags, um, some hygiene products. We offer free clothing in our boutique at our office in Oshkosh for survivors that need it. Um, And then we really just offer them any kind of ongoing assistance that they might need, um, a contact information where they can contact us if they would like more information about what they can, what are the next steps. Most, uh, it's not uncommon for victims to actually, once they've ta- been taken out of this situation or left their pimp or their trafficker, to actually go back after that's a while. That's what they know. That is what they know. That's correct. It's like they've been manipulated and brainwashed into thinking that this is the only person who cares for them. Mm-hmm. What else are they going to do? And they don't know. Where am I going to go? Where am I going to live? Where am I going to stay? I mean, this situation was awful, but what? what's the alternative? And so that's what we really seek to do is we seek to help survivors connect with um, resources and opportunities in the community that are available to assist them. And a lot of that comes through the church. You know, we really look to partner with local churches. We are all uh, donation based. Mm-hmm. And so we um, get all of our donations, our hygiene products, our clothing all come from yeah. either churches or community groups that donate that. And I want to mention you are a 501c3. Yes. And uh, you are 100% specially trained, volunteer operated and churches must get involved because we are called to care for these people that are victims. Um, back to that story real quick. So these were uh, young women that were working at the spa or they were just using that spa as a As a front. front. Yeah, that's very common. I wow. mean, sometimes it's a little bit of both. Like okay. they might actually be offering some spa uh, services, but mm. it, it oftentimes is something extra or something going on behind the scenes. One of the, uh, I mentioned that we had done, this is something people often ask me about is, you know, is trafficking happening at the Super Bowl? And oh. I've actually gone and done outreaches at the Super Bowl. And one year I actually went undercover with a police officer. And that's what we did is we went wow. to places that were fronts or known fronts for prostitution. I want to get back to that. Very important because a good part of our audience is probably sports fans. And everybody knows what happens at the Super Bowl, but we don't really want to talk about it. Um, I want to get back, just mention your website, DamascusRoadProject.org. Write it down, friends, if you're listening, unless you're driving. Uh, <laughs> DamascusRoadProject.org. Um, uh, Tara, you, you, tell us a little bit about Make Some Noise. It's an annual human trafficking awareness rally, and you started it in Oshkosh. Tell us a little bit about that. I first learned in 2009, Congress declared January 11th as National Human Trafficking Awareness Day. The whole month of January is actually National Human Trafficking Awareness Month. Uh, but, you know, ironically, um, there are more people now enslaved in the world than in any time in history. And February 1st is known as National Freedom Day, but there's actually more people enslaved. And so January is National Human Trafficking Awareness Month. And people don't maybe realize that because it's not something that we see every day. Yeah, it's not promoted like they promote Pride Month. Hello. Thank God it's, it's the last day of June. But anyway, so we've got this day that a lot of people don't pay attention to. We hear about it. Maybe it's on a calendar somewhere. Maybe. But you're trying to do something about it. You're trying to raise awareness about it. So you started a rally in Oshkosh in 2000, what? In in 2009. That was the first year. And I was very new to working with trafficking. Um, I had first learned about trafficking during an internship with the Salvation Army in Washington, D.C. It was actually part of a program just after college where um, 
students that went to Christian universities could come to Washington and learn from Christians in government, what kind of things were going on there. We got to tour the Supreme Court. Um, we got to learn from the Heritage Foundation. Cool. And then we were able to do an internship as well. So I interned with the Salvation Army. And that's where I learned all about human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Didn't start really working with the issue until 2009 when I learned that it was Human Trafficking Awareness Day, started raising awareness in Oshkosh and the Fox Valley area and thought, you know, there's got to be something that I can do to raise awareness. So a local print shop donated signs. I got a few vo- cool. handful of volunteers from my church. <laughs> we stood out by the sundial in Oshkosh, which is like our main street area. <laughs> On January 11th, in the cold, from Ooh. 11 to 1, it was snowing that year. Only year it's ever snowed. Um, but on that day, we held signs raising awareness called Stop the Traffic, Make Some Noise. And that year, um, that was our first year doing it. And actually, Lisa Senholz, who's the founder and director of Damascus Road, came that year. Um, God really connected us. That was a, a divine appointment, I believe, because I was going to be moving to Las Vegas to work with another ministry, and I needed someone to take over the work that was starting in Wisconsin, and Lisa was here and interested in doing that, and so she started um, taking over the work in Wisconsin and then later started Damascus Road. But we do the rally every year. This is the 13th year now. We have the Oshkosh Police Department involved now. They bring the local community vehicle out. We have many, many, many volunteers. We have survivors that come and volunteer. Mm, praise God. And oftentimes there was one time, uh, I think this is really important because so many times in life we think, well, what can I do? This is an overwhelming problem. And I know there's lots of people because I speak at churches all the time and people say, you know, this is so overwhelming. I don't know anything about trafficking. What can I do? And I, uh, I talk about the story of the Good Samaritan a lot because, you know, that when someone was in need, he didn't stop and question, like, I, I don't know how to help this person. He just did what was needed. Uh-huh. And so if you can hold a sign, you know, we yes. need people to hold a sign. And it's for two hours um, on January 11th. Or if you want to start one for yourself and your own community. But, I, you know, I was thinking one time I almost wanted to give up. One time um, I moved back from Las Vegas from doing ministry there, and I thought, what difference does holding a sign make? You know, we stand out in the cold. You know, we have a, some volunteers, but, you know, who's seeing this, and, and what difference is it really making? And I almost decided to cancel it. And that night I got a message from a survivor, and mm. she happened to find me because she knew another survivor who knew me, and she started telling me her story. And she said, I want to come and hold signs with you tomorrow. Wow. And it was at that moment moment like God just renewed um you know it can be exhausting after 13 years like he just renewed um the goal and the plans that he had and so we went out there and I thought if she and I are the only ones to hold signs out there we're going to do it and sure enough a whole bunch more people came and now we have many survivors that come awesome. and it means so much to them to see that people in the community can- understand that what happened to them, that that was trafficking and that their story is important and that we need more resources to be able to help these survivors. And that's part of the church, what the church should be doing. If we are to be the hands and feet of Jesus, we need to be helping these victims that uh, uh, no fault of their own got sucked into this, manipulated, forced, in some cases by their own family. But let's. Mm -hmm. there's one question I know know a lot of people want to ask, and I want to find out about family dinners. Um, how did you get involved in it? You weren't trafficked, and you just had an interest, and God put it on your heart. Can you condense that story briefly? Now, we're going to have Tara on again in probably late August or early September because there's the training coming up at September 22nd in Oshkosh, so we're going to have you on again before that. So just briefly, how did you get involved, and where did you learn of the problem? Um, I, well, I, as I mentioned, I did an internship. Uh, I needed an internship just to get a few more credits for my degree. Ah. I got a degree in international multicultural studies. I wanted to travel and work for a nonprofit. Um, I also have a degree in teaching. So part of what I do at Damascus Road now is I partner with schools and educate students on prevention, education, and awareness. Mm. Um, but I needed a few extra credits, and I just thought... Sure, this will work, you know, and God just had so many other plans that I didn't realize. (laughs) Um, So I, most students interned with a senator or congressman, and I thought that sounded kind of boring. So um, (laughs) uninteresting at the time. But I asked to be put with a nonprofit, and they had a relationship with the Salvation Army. Um, at the time, I interned okay. with the Liaison Against Human Trafficking for North America. And really, at that time, nobody was even talking about trafficking at all. Right. Um, and then after that, I worked uh, as a retail manager for several years. And 
I had some friends that started that were starting a ministry and they said, you know, would you want to raise support and be our missionary associate and move to Las Vegas? And I just I wanted to, you know, once I knew about the issue, I really honestly I wanted to pretend like I didn't know. It was so overwhelming. It was so awful that I couldn't fathom that this was going on and I didn't know about it. But at the same time, I thought I cannot pretend like I don't know. I know now and I can't pretend like I don't. And I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something. And so years later, um, that seed was planted. And then years later, I um, said yes to, to God. I, I was praying, God, should I quit my job? Should I let go of my, you know, I had nice benefits. I had nice pay in my job. I had an adult job finally. And, and God said, you know, if you let go of your security net, I'll take you places you never thought you would go. And he has fulfilled that over the last 13 years. And I say that because you don't need to have a survivor story background. You don't need to be able to specifically understand every aspect of this. If you can gather up some hygiene items, if you can um, provide a meal for our family dinners, if you can hold a sign, there are so Mm -hmm. many ways. If you can pray, we have a, a prayer ministry where we match volunteers to pray for ladies that we're working with. And as we know, that's foundational. We can't do anything what we do without prayer. And so if you want to do that, we have a spot on our website, damascusroadproject.org to do that. It doesn't cost anything. All you're doing, you get a brief description and initials of a person that we are currently working with. You can be anywhere around the country, around the world and do this. So um, that's something that anybody can definitely do. We, we always need that prayer support and you can actually be a prayer sponsor for a survivor of human trafficking. We are trying to help Tara Kuslowski, director of Damascus Road in Oshkosh, raise awareness about this very important problem. Uh, we can't look a, take a you know a pass on this and look a blind eye. I want to quote what you referred to a minute ago, William Wilberforce, who helped abolish slavery. I uh, worked for years, and uh, he said this: "You must choose. You may choose to look the other way." But you can never again say that you did not know. Exactly. We use that in our trainings all the time. William Wilberforce. So Mm -hmm. slavery was a problem. Um, It took people to take a risk, to raise awareness. And you got that started in Oshkosh. How many churches do you have working with you, or can you even estimate um, I don't really have an estimate, uh, an estimate, but there is always room for more. Okay. Um, I wouldn't think there would be a lot. That's why I asked. Yeah, we and yes, it, it's small but growing um, because we are all volunteer based. We can only do what we can do. So that is why we have specifically chosen to work on the the advocacy side with um, women who were victims of either sex trafficking or commercial sexual exploitation who are 18 and older. Obviously, we know minors are victims and uh, men are victims too, but because we are a small um, nonprofit where we are just all volunteer, we can really focus on on that specific category. Um, but we need help from churches, and we actually have a volunteer now who is coordinating with churches to Good. to Good. get them to uh, host us as a speaker. We can come to your church and speak on a Sunday morning. Um, we can set up an info table. We can do a training for your church. I've spoke to youth groups. Mm. Um, churches have organized special trainings where we can come to you or you can come to our community trainings that we hold at our office. Um, we also need churches to host family dinners. If you're in the local area, Every, uh, the first Monday of every month, we have a family dinner where we just get together. We have our volunteers, we have our survivors, and we share a meal together and catch up. And, That's neat. Um, so we need people, we need, uh, churches or community groups to sponsor the meal. You can make the meal and then come and serve. We do a fun activity as well that night. Um, but we do ask that you are trained. So whoever is going to be doing that, we have them come to one of our trainings Great. first. And the next one is September 22 in Oshkosh. Friends, mark it on your calendar. At least keep that in mind. We will have Tara on again. Damascus Road Project on Facebook. There's a Facebook page you can like and follow. Uh, Damascus Road Project. And then uh, the website is damascusroadproject.org. Um, you know, I, one we've just I, got a minute left, and oh, we'll sure. take a break. But go ahead. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention about the training because we get asked this a lot. Yes. For people who are outside of our local area, we can do if you request. If you have a group of people or healthcare workers or law enforcement, we train. Um, we're able to give some uh, law enforcement or professionals are able to get continuing education credit. So we can do online trainings as well if that's an interest. Just contact us. That would be great. That. that would be great. So we've got a lot more to talk about and. Uh, Remember, Jelaine Appling is coming up in uh, just a little bit. And when we come back with Tara, we're going to talk about some a couple testimonies so you can get more information, a little bit of detail. 
and also Super Bowl. And we're, we're an NFL city here, Green Bay, Wisconsin. We've got an NFL team. What happens on game days? There's actually trafficking. And the story we talked about in Oshkosh, that's a small town. We, it's not just in the big cities, friends. More on Stand Up For The Truth in just a minute. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest today, Tara Kozlowski with Damascus Road Project. It's in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, but online you can access it anywhere. They've got a Facebook page and the website. Please check it out, friends. It's DamascusRoadProject.org. Before we get to the testimony or two, especially the Super Bowl and that whole NFL thing, um, we're talking Oshkosh, Wisconsin, not a big town. But you mentioned during the break that because of the Internet, there's a demand for this everywhere, even in little tiny towns because of pornography and just the online access. Explain a little bit about that. It's not just in the big cities. Absolutely. Trafficking wouldn't exist without a demand. And we've been finding that the demand is really created a lot through connection to pornography. Um, really, anywhere there's Internet, there can be trafficking. So there's recruitment going on, social media sites. Um, just during COVID, um, online trafficking online has increased and through social media 150% um, because people are being isolated. They're at home. Now people are making their own soft pornography through OnlyFans. Um, so this is actually, you know, online is really where people are being recruited and sold. And that can happen in any town, any city, no matter the population. Mm. So let's talk about big cities now that host Super Bowls. Um, that happened. I mean, you said you spent time undercover. Tell us a little bit more about that and, and then share that testimony of a Super Bowl victim that you wanted to talk about. Uh, so in, during my years of ministry, I've been to six different Super Bowls doing a variety of different things. One year I was able to go undercover with a detective and we just had to pretend his story was that he was like a hick, you know, so we just had to pretend like we had no clue what we were doing. And all of a sudden we were walking into this place and I had to change into a character, you know, just be this character. I had to be his wife. I had to pretend to be his wife. And we were looking for someone to, to dance for us. So it was like a place that looked like they sold lingerie, okay. but it was actually a front for, they were just offering um, personal dancing and things in the back. I, they didn't end up being a front for prostitution, okay. but there were many places that were like that, that were offering additional services like prostitution behind the scenes. But how cool is that? I mean, you know, you got to go undercover. Not a lot yeah. of people have that experience. Let's talk about the Super Bowl. Now, you've got a, a testimony of uh, someone that you know that was found out about or was rescued at a Super Bowl? Yeah. So during our Super Bowl outreaches, what we would do is we would have booklets of pictures of missing kids. And the connection is that we would go to hotels and gas stations and say, have you seen this person? If they're in this area, they might be trafficked. Because oftentimes during any big event, so the Super Bowl, but any large event, any tourist event, like we said, demand. So this is a criminal industry. It's a, yes. Trafficking is the second largest criminal industry in the world, governed by supply and demand. So if you have a demand, there's going to need to be a supply. And demand always increases during a big entertainment venue, like the Super Bowl. So we were in um, Phoenix that year for the Super Bowl, and we had... I didn't have a booklet that year. We only had four pictures of missing children. And we had handed all of the pictures out to our volunteers to go take to hotels. We had a, a man who was a limo driver who said, I can't go to hotels, but I could take a picture and hand it out to my fellow limo drivers. Well, I didn't plan for that. So I didn't have any pictures left except for one. There was one picture left. And so I gave this picture. There were four different pictures of children. And I happened to have one left, so I gave wow. it to him. And within about an hour or so, we got a call saying that one of his fellow limo drivers had had that girl in his vehicle oh the previous goodness. day. Wow. So, you know, God, talk about God ordained. Wow. Just happened to have one picture left. Yeah. That, sound, that sounds like you going to college and needing a few more credits. Right. And not, yeah. Not knowing where uh, that was. 13 years later. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, I, I do want to mention more about Damascus Road because we've got five minutes left f f until we get to Julianne Appling. Uh, friends, you can go to DamascusRoadProject.org. It is a 501c3. Donations are tax deductible. But there's a training coming up locally. And you can do online training as well, friends. I know a lot of you listen from different states around the country. This is an important issue. Maybe you can gradually get your church involved. But September 22nd in Oshkosh, I mean, tomorrow's July 1st already. September will be here before we know it. 
And tell us a little bit about that training, and it's going to be at the Damascus Road offices in Oshkosh, right? Yes. So we do those once a month. usually take a break for the summer, but they're open to the community. I would say appropriate for ages 11 and up. I think it's very important to educate uh, middle school and high school ages. That is the target age for recruitment into trafficking, about 12 to 14 years old. So um, anybody can be trafficked, but as we know, that is unfortunately the targeted age. So we, in those trainings, we really cover a lot of what we can't we don't really have time to talk about today. Just all those questions that people wonder, you know, what, what is trafficking? How is someone recruited? What happens to them once they're recruited? How do they get out? Um, how does Damascus Road help? And what is something that I can do? And how can I keep my friends and family safe? What are some of the red flags that I should be looking for? And then we uh, have red flag cards with the trafficking hotline number on it for people to contact if they are seeing some of these red flags in someone they know. What's just one thing really quick, a red flag that, that you could share with Christian parents concerned about their kids that are 11, 12, or 13 I would say it's a combination of things because not just one thing, but you know, if a, the most common way someone was recruited is through the boyfriending tactics. So someone pretending to be a boyfriend, pretending to build a love relationship. Mm-hmm. So if your child is maybe met someone online, maybe an older man online, doesn't always have to be older, but usually is older person online, all of a sudden they start getting a lot of gifts. He starts giving them a purse like Louis Vuitton bag, hair and nails done all the time. Okay. These are things that normal teenagers cannot afford, especially mm-hmm. if they don't have a job. You know, how can they afford this? So all of these things that are just like this doesn't seem to make sense. Maybe they disappear, don't come back, you know, they might leave for a day and don't come back home. Um, You know, they don't, uh, they have different friends, you know, just a lot of changes to look for. Okay. I just want to mention a couple stats. And like I said, we will have Tara Kozlowski on again, DamascusRoadProject.org. Recruitment and exploitation has increased 150% since COVID due to isolation and more people online. Just talk briefly about that. Yeah, and that was specifically online and through social media. And I mean, wow. you think about it, like wow. people are being isolated. They're at home. They're, they need, to, we're made to connect. So they're connecting online and they might be talking to people who they think, oh, this person seems harmless. I met them on this app. They seem harmless. They just want to talk. They want to be my boyfriend. And they have no idea that this person on the other end it could be a recruiter and could have other plans for them and eventually force them into, or convince them to sell themselves or be forced into prostitution. Wow. And then people are also, are also selling themselves online. There's different uh, websites that sex buyers can go to. Basically, if they're looking for it, they're going to know how to find it online. Even locally. All right, Mm -hmm. so it's a $150 billion a year industry, according to the International Labor Organization. Sex trafficking is a huge problem. That's why we had you on. We want to raise more awareness about this. And July 1st, tomorrow, we're going to have you on possibly the end of August uh, whatever you want to do, maybe early September, closer to yeah, the date. Yeah, that would be great. The training will be September 22nd, damascusroadproject.org. Anything else you can share in the last a minute here? You know, basically the the main thing, too, that we are always in need of, as any ministry is, is we are, like we said, um, nonprofit and volunteer-based, and our greatest need is actually funded positions. And so if you feel God staff. tugging at your heart to provide, we have so much more work we could do if we had paid staff. So that is one of the things that we are focusing on in the fall is raising um, funding for staff positions. So you can right. go if you want to be a monthly donor or a one-time gift or, you know, tax it's tax deductible. Um, you can go to our website, damascusroadproject.org. Thank you so much, Tara, for coming in today. A very important topic. We're going to talk to you again very, very soon. It'll be here before we know it. But the website again, friends, it's damascusroadproject.org. Facebook, search Damascus Road Project. Okay, switching gears now. We were blessed to be able to connect with Jillian Appling of Wisconsin Family Council this morning. And uh, she's going to offer us a lot of information on uh, what her take on the Roe v. Wade decision. And where do we go from here state by state? What do we do now? So Jillian Appling, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. Hey, David. Always good to be with you folks. Hey, so let everybody know where you're sitting now and why. Well, I'm sitting in a borrowed office in the sense that um, I'm not in my own office because on Mother's, <clears throat> excuse me, on Mother's Day, in the more early morning hours, my uh, personal office was um, firebombed. The Molotov cocktails thrown in, and so we have a nice suite here in, in Madison, David, and we got about 1,800 square feet or so. And I had to go find another place to set up and be able to operate. So I am sitting right next to the wall that is adjacent to my space that is right now completely empty of anything because the restoration and cleanup crew came in about, what, 
maybe a week and a half after the bombing and took everything out and took it to a place where they are going through item by item to tell us it's, if it's salvageable, you know, or not salvageable. And by the way, I still have a piece of plywood over the two windows that were broken and the wall has not been repaired. Although the good news is this Friday, the um, crew, a crew's coming in to do demolition to get ready to at least repair the wall. So that's where I am. Fortunately, this is exciting news from my perspective. I'm in the office of one of our employees who is out on maternity leave. Oh, my goodness. Just, and her husband just had their first baby. So that's exciting. Praise God. Um, so, Jelaine, what about the smoke damage? Did that affect the whole building or uh, what? Well, it was pretty much contained to our suite. And we're okay. at the very end of a very long hallway. So we're kind of isolated. But the it did affect our all the office space. So we have had very powerful air purifiers going and they brought in actually David I didn't even know they had these things but learned a lot through this process uh, including how how you make a good Molotov cocktail how about <laughs> that um, not something I ever really wanted to know but anyway they brought in what they called air scrubbers hmm. and they put one in my office and then one out in our general area um, the, the lobby area where everybody would connect to and they put those there for I think two days and we run uh, my office is sealed there is still um, the doors closed and locked um, the opposite way from the way we normally have it, by the way. But um, it, it's actually got a heavy sheet of plastic around it and sealed with tape to keep anything from coming in under the door and affecting the rest of us. So, um, you know, there was smoke damage. Every time I go in there last Friday, and the, it, as a result of all the media being here, you know, with the Roe v. Wade decision, um, they wanted to see it. So we opened that door several times. And I'm telling you, it, it's still residual. You can wow. still feel that and smell that smoke in there. So, Jelaine, we're going to get your response on the Roe v. Wade ruling. And in Wisconsin, where do we go from here? And local residents and, and state residents can decide what they can do. But um, you had the message painted, the threat on the outside of your building. If abortions aren't safe, neither are you. Um, I believe Jane's Revenge, one of the radical pro-abortion groups, took credit, or some group took credit for it. Have you had any other recent threats now since the Roe v. Wade ruling? Not directly from that group that took that claimed responsibility for it. And by the way, I think that group is kind of a precipitant type of group, David. I don't know that they're formally organized. I think what they did is a group of people sent this message out to all over the country and said, here's how you do it. And, and people, people have done that. That's why we've had so many things happen as after they did ours. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, we've, we've not had threats from Jane's revenge directly. Although if you, if you've seen their, their communiques, they've, they said, okay, your 30 days are up. We're coming for you. And uh, that kind of language in general, we have had some, I would consider them pretty credible threats, even just in the past few days of people saying, the next Molotov cocktail will work, you know, wow. that type of thing, which we, of course, have, re have turned over to the police because we, we've, um, we've had nothing. We've not had a person apprehended. We've not heard about anybody taken in for questioning. You know, the FBI is involved. ATF is involved. The local Madison police department is involved. They all assure us, Oh yes, we're working on this. We're coming on, on we're coming up on eight weeks. And this, I think it's eight weeks this Sunday, seven or eight weeks this Sunday, David. So, so um, I, I don't know. I know there's an, another uh, clinic in Appleton um, called Vita uh, Life, right. and, and they installed three new security cameras. You had cameras there. If you didn't, I'm sure there are buildings or offices around you that could have seen something. I don't understand how they couldn't have come up with anything yet. Well, I'm not sure that the camera that we had cameras positioned well here or anywhere near us. Hmm. Um, that that was, I think, pretty conclusive. I will tell you now that there are cameras. Hmm. Yes, <laughs> um, you know, positioned appropriately for the outside of the building, and we've certainly taken internal uh, measures to beef up our security. What is what a sad time that yeah. we have to talk about doing this for yeah. any reason, but particularly over the issue. Of life, and I, I need to say, David, too, the threat was very credible. You know, if abortions aren't safe, then neither are you. But the the people who disagree with us as an organization, they they were reacting to the issue of the day, the life issue, right? Yeah. 
But I'm telling you, when you're out there like we are and like you are on issues that include marriage and family and human sexuality and religious freedom and all of that, today it's life. Tomorrow it could be any one of those issues. Hmm. You know, because what they're really opposing is our belief system. It's a worldview they, war. Our worldview. Yeah. They, they, they don't like the fact that we have a consistent worldview that we live by, we talk about, we think is appropriate because the Word of God tells us, hey, this is the way that human beings will thrive if you follow my word, my precepts, and my principles, right? Yep, exactly. And, and that's what they're objecting to. They're objecting to Christianity. It's not a rejection of us. It's a rejection of their Creator. And that, boy, I hope Christians are understanding that, David. It's not just this issue. It is everything we stand for. Yes, Good point. We've got two minutes left in this segment, Julaine, and uh, we know that there has never been in the U.S. Constitution a constitutional right to abortion, but yet you're hearing some of these liberal news outlets and commentators say women's rights have been stripped or women's health access and everything like that. They're, they're talking points to you and I. You just shake your head, but are Americans that... Uh, ignorant of, of civics or our Constitution, or have they bought into the left's talking points over the years? It's both. They bought into it, and they are also ignorant. They're, they're kept ignorant by an educational system that wants them to be ignorant. That's right. And, and they, 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 don't get, they don't get the messages from mainstream media to counter that, David. So, yes, it's yes and yes. They're both ignorant, and they bought the lie. Um, we don't have a constitutional right to abortion, to kill a a human being in our U.S. Constitution. We're not barbarians. And I love that, read the first page of the opinion, the 213-page opinion um, from the court from last Friday at the very bottom of the first page. Held, we don't have a constitutional right to to, to, to abortion. That's not in our Constitution. Um, those are some of the most exciting words I've read since I read the Declaration of Independence <laughs> and the opening of the Constitution. Um, it's right. It, it's we've, we're done with the tragedy and the travesty and the tragedy of what the Supreme Court did in 1973 is one of the most audacious judicial activist acts we've ever seen. Yes. When we come back from our break, we're going to quote Justice Alito on his majority opinion, and we're going to ask you what happens now. And as far as we are in Wisconsin now, and you've got to ask this question state by state. What do we do at this level? More with Jelaine Appling when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. We're back with Jelaine Appling, Wisconsin Family Council and Wisconsin Family Action. Now, let me quote uh, Justice Samuel Alito on the majority opinion. He said, abortion presents a profound moral question. The Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. Roe and Casey arrogated that authority. We now overrule those decisions and return that authority to the people and their elected representatives. End quote. Julaine, let's start right there. Well, look, that's, those words are enough to make even me as a Baptist, jump up out of my chair and say, hallelujah, <laughs> right? <laughs> Look, those are exciting words, and, and, and they're exciting because they're right, mm. all right? Uh, prior to 1973 and the, um, you know, poorly, poorly decided Roe versus Wade decision, the issue of abortion was at the state level, which is where it should be. Now, every state had the right to determine were they going to allow the killing, the purposeful killing of the preborn? Mm-hmm. Okay, and and every state had done something relative to that. There were some states that were allowing it. We in Wisconsin were we decided we weren't going to do that in 1849, a year after we became a state. We said no. All right, but Justice Alito, writing on behalf of the the five justice majority, and let's make sure everyone knows that the Chief Justice John Roberts took the chicken way out on yep, this. Yep. All right, he took the middle road that said, "Okay, I think the 15 week abortion ban that Mississippi wanted is fine, but no, no, no. Let's let's not let's not go so far as to overturn Roe." But the five justices who did the right thing 
held to that belief right there. There is no constitutional provision, right, if you will, in, to, to kill an unborn human baby. And it was a concocted decision and a concocted, quote, right that the justices did in 1973. And that's, that's what this is all about. And by the way, David, I think this is important to point out here. The justices could have used that Dobbs case coming out of Mississippi and dealt only with the 15-week abortion ban that Mississippi had enacted. Mm-hmm. They chose to do the right thing and address the Roe v. Wade decision itself head on. Yes. That, that's, can, can we just talk briefly about the courage of these justices? Absolutely. This is amazing. These five justices have been, especially after the leaked opinion in early May, they have been under all kinds of attack, personally, professionally, and everything else. And, and I think of them right up there with the, the folks who signed the Declaration of Independence. They pledged their lives, their fortune, and their sacred honor yes. on this issue. <laughs> Yep, they were, and and we just want to mention that it's kind of interesting if President Trump had not been in office for those four years and appointed three of those justices, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation today. Well, we wouldn't. He's something like the Abraham Lincoln of the Civil War era, right? Mm, yeah. I mean, this is a, this is it kind of emancipated the preborn, if you will, uh, from the clutches of the people who think that you know it's a baby's an inconvenience and that. Abortion is health care and, and it's birth control and all of the other things that go with that. Um, you're exactly right. God gave us a president for four years who had, can, let's mention how unusual it is for any president in four years to get a point three. Yes. Three justices to the U.S. Supreme Court. Praise God. Oh my, that's amazing. You know what, you know what happened that it's most spectacular in all of this, I think. Ruth Bader Ginsburg hung on to that court and her health incredibly longer than I thought she could, yeah, right? Exactly. And she has, and God says, wait a minute, this is not done. I determine when she's going to pass into eternity. And he does it in September before the election. <laughs> David, David, this is just stunning. Yeah. And yep. so, and so Trump got that third, that third appointment. Um, that should not be lost on any of us as believers. God is the one who is in control of all of this. Amen. All the details, all the timing. Amen. Let's go back and review a little bit of history that Justice Samuel Alito penned. He said, quote, Not only was there no support for such a constitutional right until shortly before Roe, but abortion had long been a crime in every single state. At common law, abortion was criminal in at least some stages of pregnancy and was regarded as unlawful and could have very serious consequences at all stages. Now, American law followed common law, and he goes on. But this is something we forget because we've accepted that Roe v. Wade was the law of the land. Jelaine, your thoughts? Well, look, and, and it's, again, because we don't know our history that we fall prey to these kinds of things. We, mm-hmm. And it's been 50 years, almost 50 years, David, where we've had that the, the, the concept of everywhere in our culture, that we could have abortion on demand for any reason, right? Anytime, uh, basically, which every state had some restrictions of some sort or another. But but we've had this for so long. That's at least two generations of people who have only known that, or only known at least one generation. That's all they've ever had, and two close to that. And so, so what we forget is there was a time where it was unthinkable. Yes. Right? And it came with penalties. Why? Because we had Judeo-Christian principles and values that were pretty much commonly accepted. If you didn't believe that, you were the uh, the outcast. You were the oddball. But some look at. Can, can we just quickly talk about this, David? You and I could have great fun with this. This yeah. is directly coming out of the sixties. It's just coming out of the sixties. Yeah, it, it's coming out of the make love, not war. Nobody gets to tell me what to do. Marriage is, you know, I don't have to be married to have sex. Yeah. I, don't, I should be able to have sex anytime, anywhere, any, any way, any place, anytime, any with anyone. You can't tell me I can't. And oh, by the way, I don't want to pay the penalty of having a baby because I made that choice. Yep. Yep, the consequence. And that's where this came from. That's exactly where this came from. Yep. Uh, before we get to Wisconsin and bring it back to the state level here, what we can do, um, I want to quote uh, Justice Alito once again. Um, he said, 
uh, Roe found that the Constitution implicitly conferred a right to obtain an abortion, but it failed to ground its decision in text, history, or precedent. He goes on to say, we can only do our job, which is to interpret the law, apply long-standing principles, and decide this case accordingly, and we therefore hold that the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. And, end quote, and they overruled it. So, Julaine, um, now we know that. We know it's back to 1972-73 when it was a state issue, state by state. So your thoughts now on what we can do, what we need to do and be aware of, because the left is taking it up a notch as far as intensifying this battle. Well, they are going to take it up a notch. They're going to continue to to ramp it up. Um, This is an election year. Let's not lose that. This is an election year all over this country. Hmm. And there are governorships. There are U.S. Senate seats. There are congressional seats for the U.S. House. There are state legislative seats in every state, basically, David, that are going to be at risk. The fastest way, I'll just use Wisconsin as an example. One of the fastest ways to lose the, the, the enforceability of our 1849 law that criminalizes most abortions in our state is for Tony Evers to remain its governor. He's on the ballot, right? And for the, the um, state legislature to flip from conservative majorities in both our Senate and our Assembly to liberal majorities. Mm. When that happens, I will guarantee you I've already seen the bills. I've yeah. seen them for, for the last 10 years. What they're going to, they're going to revoke the 1849 laws in, in Wisconsin. It's 940.04 in our state statutes. Okay. And they're going to do away with every restriction we've ever had on abortion, David. So, and that is going to happen where in, in, in any state. So elections are important. They have consequences. They have life and death consequences sometimes. So what you're so saying... We need to all... Okay, this, the, the election in November, what you're saying, if the Democrats hold power, if Evers is the governor, and if there's majorities, Democrat majorities in Wisconsin... We are going to be one of those states that's going to be like a safe haven for those who want to have abortions. And people from Iowa or North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, wherever else will be coming to us, maybe even from Indiana, to get abortion. Is that what I'm hearing you say? That's exactly what you're hearing. And I think it would happen, um, I think it would happen by the end of January of 2023. Mm-hmm. They are not going to waste any time. And they are going to use this issue, not just here in Wisconsin, but all over the country, to to mobilize their base, to energize them, because they understand that they can use that to say to people, oh, you know what, if you want to, quote, right to abortion, then you've got to get your state legislature and your governor and all of that um, in line to do it. And, and they're going to be spending a great deal of money to accomplish that. The second thing I'll point out, though, is what they really want is a federal law. They've already tried to put a federal law in place that legalizes abortion would trump any state law, all right, that criminalizes it if they can get it in at the federal level law. I'm not talking about Constitution, although they'd love to amend the Constitution to do that. But if they can get enough senators that believe that abortion should be legalized in the federal law, then they can have got all the votes they need in the House. They just need to get more in the, to, to be able to get to their, you know, their, um, nuclear op, not nuclear option. They're um, what do they call that? The 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 big vote, the supermajority, the supermajority vote of sixty, right? Right. And, and, and so, so look, they're looking at every level. So, yep. so elections are coming up. They pay, play a huge deal. But secondly, every state that I know of has pregnancy care centers. They've yes. always been important, but they're more important now. And, and number one, we need to make sure that these or these pregnancy care services that have women and men walking in needing real help and real hope and being offered it in all of these places, that they are safe, that they are, you know, that that's going to be the next tar- And they've been very vocal about it, right? People yep. who are promoting abortion, they're our target. Yep. But we as believers need to support them. We need to find out what their needs are. We need to get them financial help. We need to get them volunteer help. Whatever their needs are, we need to connect with them. Third thing, yes, churches need to step it up. Oh, amen. Women going in in a crisis pregnancy need to find our churches as a safe place. I'm not condoning what what has happened to bring this about, okay, with this woman. But it's done. It's done. So if they come in looking for help, what can we tangibly do? Who is set up to help them get to a pregnancy care center or to 
help them find a place to live or to help them find a job or something that we can offer them real help and real hope. Share the gospel, of course, mm. but also be, be a, a place where they find compassion and, and again, I'm going to use that phrase, tangible help. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I think those are some critical errors, areas. Number one, the election. Number two, the pregnancy care centers. Number three, the churches. And number four, I think we need to start having robust discussions in our families and over the backyard fence and in our pews next to each other on Sundays when we gather together in our places of worship about the goodness of God and giving us this window of opportunity. This is a gift. Yes. Let's not waste it. Yes. And again, for churches, since you brought that up, the very important point for Christians to be active and engaged. Uh, we've got a lot of heart work to do, and, and uh, um, we really have got to really work on some of the talking points that have been accepted and say, wait a minute, we want to get to a place where people honor mothers and daughters again, where life is respected, people actually celebrate parenting and motherhood, where there are fewer abortions or people maybe pause before having you know premarital sex to think about what they're doing ahead of time. I mean, our hope is that there are fewer unwanted pregnancies and more thoughtful behavior, although that those might be high hopes. Jelaine, we've just got a minute and a half. Uh, wrap it up for friends in Wisconsin that maybe think, oh, do we really have to go through this and all the election stuff because of all the election fraud and, and voter fraud, but we've got to get the word out. We've got to get to the polls still, don't we? We do, and now is not the time to say, oh, they're going to steal my vote. Now is the time to say, I'm going to do my duty, and I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to vote, and I'm going to take 20 people with me. Amen. Um, this is this is not the time for the sunshine soldier and the summer patriot. This is the time for all of us to take this seriously. And I want to add really quickly, you know, David, I'm adopted. I was adopted when I was five months old. I know nothing about the situation regarding my conception. Could have been rape and incest. I'm here because my mother chose life, even though, um, and, and she could have gone and had a, you know, a, a backstreet abortion. She chose life. Mm. We need to talk about adoption. There are couples out there that would love yes. to adopt. We, th- this is not, this is the option. Let's, let's, we need to promote that as Christians. We need more and more Christian couples to step up and adopt, by the way. We have a glorious opportunity. Our God is on the throne. He is, he is sovereign and we have, he has given us an opportunity to make our voices heard through the elections, through the pregnancy care centers to help them, our churches and, and our family units to shore this up and, and help people to understand that God is the author of life. He's given every individual Incredible belief, right? Stamped with his image. Amen. We're all image bearers. Amen. It's a great, great day for us to be believers. Yes, amen, Jelaine. Uh, Thank you. That's a great place to end the podcast. We really appreciate your voice on this and your work. Friends, continue to pray for the protection personally for Jelaine Appling and, of course, Wisconsin Family Council. God bless you, sister. Thank you. God bless all of you at Q90. All right, we appreciate you. Uh, tomorrow, Scott Shera will be on the podcast. An update, if you want to get a little glimpse of his website, OurAmazingGrace.net. And we appreciate you guys listening. God bless you, and as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.